Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 295, being recorded on Thursday, August 18th, 2022. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Jason, how are you doing? You've been traveling a lot lately. I have. I have. Uh, it's uh, been interesting to spend so much time at the airports. They've been quite busy lately. Yeah, yeah. Yep, the uh, there's uh, cancellations. It's total chaos at the airports. So hopefully, now that we're in back to school season, that'll slow down a little bit. Knock on woods. October is a busy uh, commerce trade show month, so uh, I'll be on the road all, most of October. Uh, hopefully, visiting some listeners. But uh, hopefully, yeah, travels a little smoother. Hopefully, I can get some better seats on the airplane. I'm a little bitter at the moment. Yeah, yeah. You have like twenty million miles, and they're putting you back in steerage. Uh, that's uh, a slightly milder version of that is true. <laughs> cool. And then um, I guess the big question is we've got two new series kicking off. Are you going to do Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings or both? I'm super excited about both. I'm actually uh, some people know I had knee surgery earlier in the year. I'm actually contemplating uh, getting the surgery on my other knee. So I have an excuse just to uh, stay at home for a, while, a month and watch them both. Yeah. Um, and then let's see the, well, ready to jump into some news. I'm super excited too. <laughs> cool. Well, it wouldn't be a Jason Scott show without. Amazon news. Your margin is their opportunity. Yeah, so there was some Amazon news I wanted to just chat about with you. The um, On the 16th of August, Amazon surprised uh, both Wall Street a, a bit and uh, third-party sellers a lot <clears throat> with their first ever peak season surge pricing for fulfillment by Amazon, or commonly known as FBA. So the way this is going to work is they've, they've put out the dates October 15th <clears throat> through January 14th of 23, Third-party sellers that use FBA are going to have a new fee, and I hope you're sitting down. It is $0.35 cents per item. Now, you may be saying to yourself, Scott, that's uh, pretty small. Is that going to really move the needle? Um, and uh, one of our friends of the show, Colin Sebastian, he actually did the math on this. So it turns out that last holiday, if you look at the third-party sell units sold during that period – you had 2.7 to 2.8 billion. You have a midpoint of 2.75 billion. He took that, approximated three fourths of that, went through FBA. You multiply that out, and you get uh, about 700 million dollars. Just drops right out of that 35 cents. So that is the power of Amazon scale. Is a seemingly tiny little surcharge can be a big number. Um, so it's going to be interesting, and you know that'll be pure profit because Amazon is not doing anything differently really. Um, and then um, in the press release, uh, they basically said our expenses are reaching new heights and it's making it harder for the company to absorb costs and they're going to have to pass some of those on. Uh, but we still love our third party sellers. <laughs> did you, um, what did you think about this fee? 
Yeah, well, I'm guessing uh, third-party sellers and investors didn't react exactly the same to that news. Yes, investors were happy. Third-party sellers, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things. It's kind of tricky because you can't complain too much because it feels like 35 cents. But, you know, if you're a seller selling a couple thousand items a day through FBA, uh, it's going to be material. And I think uh, at the end of the day, um, all this gets passed on to the consumers, and that causes uh, inflation, which we're going to talk about a good bit on today's show. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's kind of a mixed bag because – well, it, I feel like it is true that Amazon hasn't charged a true surge charge before. The, you know, they change their terms and conditions all the time. And they, you know, they'll like, they'll narrow the window under which you can keep stuff in, uh, in the warehouse before you start getting extra fees. Um, they'll make you take more stuff back. They'll take less stuff. And those all kind of have the effect of making FBA more expensive for some sellers. Um, well, the 35 yeah. cents probably isn't a deal breaker. It is a good reminder to all these third party sellers that you're, you're kind of a digital share cropper in the Amazon ecosystem. And what, you know, the two things that I think are most interesting are, uh, this kicks in in October. Strong rumors that Amazon's going to try a second prime day in October. So this could be insult to injury. Uh, they could be asking third party sellers to like, load up the inventory and get ready for a second prime day and be charging them more. So this actually could end up being even a little bigger than, uh, was forecasted, uh, than, than, uh, Colin forecasted if, uh, if prime day ends up being a meaningful thing. And then if you also remember earlier in the year, Amazon launched, um, checkout with prime, which was kind of a, a first move to making uh, fulfillment by Amazon available to non-Amazon sellers, or at least sellers off of the Amazon platform. And so it's kind of interesting, you know, shortly after they, they're trying to make FBA more available, they're, they're making it more expensive. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, they've struggled with that because every time they've opened it up to, people not selling on Amazon, they have a surge of some kind and they have to kind of like pair that program back. It's happened like four or five times. It's crazy. Yeah. <clears throat> and the flip side is of course the other carriers you'd be shipping through the other common carriers, the uh, holiday surge fees are quite common. So this is not, not going to feel like atypical or out of line uh, when you compare it to UPS or FedEx. Yeah. And haven't most of them put on a fuel surcharge already? Like, and um, even though yeah, there fuel are, is going there are down, surcharges they don't on to top of surcharges. <laughs> and, I, you know, some people feel like they haven't turned off the surcharges for two years. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's hard out there in e commerce land from a cost perspective. That's for sure. Was there any Amazon news you found interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would actually bundle two pieces of news and call them two sides of the coin. Um, the, an interesting Amazon test was revealed. Uh, this company that monitors the Amazon app found a new feature um, that it appears like it's only been deployed uh, to Amazon employees at this point. But it's basically a um, picture and video stream in the app. So this is like the way that this is described is sort of like a TikTok-like feature inside of the Amazon app, which is interesting. Um Obviously, in uh, China, a lot of people uh, shop in the the Chinese version of TikTok, which is called Daoyun. Um, a lot of people get interested in buying products through TikTok in the U.S. They haven't necessarily like 
checked out uh, on TikTok in, in huge quantities yet. But it's super interesting that Amazon's kind of approach to social commerce is get content creators and influencers and sellers to create social content on Amazon's platform. So on Twitch, on Amazon Live, um, and now this new... Uh, TikTok feature. It's like Amazon's not partnering with TikTok. Amazon's trying to be TikTok. And uh, I said two sides of the same coin because uh, I mentioned an earlier test Amazon did was Amazon Live, where they tried to take really popular uh, content creators that, that are commerce and entice them to create content on the Amazon platform. And they're they were paying anything, anywhere from like two to $9,000 a month plus the the affiliate commissions uh, to get people to produce content on Amazon Live. And it didn't seem like content creators were super happy with those results. Uh, they weren't making a lot of money. They were, there was a lot of churn. And now a bunch of those content creators that have moved off the platform are now organizing a boycott of Amazon uh, because they feel like uh, Amazon's not um, uh, treating their employees the way they would like. So uh, it it just reminds everyone that like, man, there's this really interesting opportunity and, you know, side of the business around social commerce and kind of, you know, letting influencers and content creators into your ecosystem. But then the flip side is they don't always behave in the ways you, you like, and even more so when they're, they're not on the payroll. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, influencers live by the influencer, die by the influencer. The TikTok thing's interesting. I don't, I think it's reading a lot into it to call it TikTok, but you know, they're definitely trying to figure out live streaming. Um, one thing we haven't talked about on the show in my world of collectibles, this marketplace has really splashed onto the scene called whatnot. And it's a whole live stream for collectibles. And, you know, the, uh, I think they've raised money at around a three to $4 billion valuation, which would imply their GMV is, is pretty substantial. I haven't seen any reports of it. Um, but it's pretty, pretty interesting. It's kind of an entertainment live stream like we see out of China, but applied to collectibles. I feel like that's a pretty good category for for this format because you can do these pack openings and um, you know all these kinds of things and it, and I've I've experimented with it and it's pretty neat. You can the the streamers they can run auctions right in there. Um, they can have kind of a three formats going at once. They can kind of have a claim show, an auction, and then like a little e commerce slider store over on the side. It's a pretty interesting platform that that uh, if you're interested in collectibles, go check it out. Uh, I think it started with collectible toys, like these little Funko Pops, uh, and then it's moved into it's got a vibrant um, sports card, non sports card, and then I've seen a lot of activity around the comics category. So that, that's kind of an interesting new approach I hadn't seen out there. Yeah, you know the whole live streaming thing is super interesting and complicated. Um, uh, the Quick Reader's Digest version. In China, live streaming is super popular and it was born on the e-commerce platform. So Taobao Live, which is like kind of the equivalent of Amazon or eBay, um, like launched a live stream video platform and they, they built a huge commerce business. And these influencers, uh, that Alibaba paid, like were starting to sell like huge quantities. There's this dude, Austin Lee, who sells lipstick, who sold over a billion dollars in a single day. Um, and over time in China, the live streaming has moved off of the retailers platforms onto the social media platforms like Daoyun and WeChat. Um, and so you look at China and you go, Oh my God, live streaming is huge. It's the future. It's how all this stuff is getting sold. I want to say it's like 15 or 16% of all e-commerce sales in China. 
Um, but then here in the U.S., it's been a mixed bag. There's a bunch of use cases like you just described where it works really well. Uh, there's a bunch of Etsy live streamers. Uh, there's a bunch of like small retail boutiques that live stream during the pandemic to great effect. Um, they're doing really well. Uh, you know, TikTok, which is the same company as Dow Yoon, uh, announced that they were delaying uh, their live streaming feature in the U.S. So they they like, you know, it's not. They're not rushing it to market. Uh, Instagram had a, a live streaming commerce feature, which they just retired last week. Um, we've seen Walmart do some experiments in live streaming. We've seen uh, um, Nordstrom do some experiments in live streaming. It's not clear that there's a a mass market huge opportunity for live streaming. The, the Amazon live streaming pilots haven't worked very well. Um, and so they're both like, there's a bunch of niches and use cases where, where consumers really like it and you could see it working, but it doesn't seem like a slam dunk for any of the really big commerce players that they just need to turn on this feature and the customers will come running. So the lot of debate, uh, amongst my clients at the moment, you know, is China just ahead of the U S and does everybody have to get ready for live streaming or is the U S, uh, going to evolve differently than China as it, it often does. Yeah. Or like, is it going to be one of those things where like we call, talked about chat commerce forever and it never really jumped, uh, jumped over, you know, it, even though Facebook tried really hard to put commerce in messenger and they hired the PayPal dude, it just never really, really translated to the U S. Yeah. No, exactly. So I, yeah, I'm not convinced the main way U S consumers are shopping is ever likely to be live streaming, but I do think it is an important solution to particular discovery problems um, in the U S. So I think it's part of the mix, but I don't think it's that like magic panacea that's going to replace traditional e-commerce, for example. Yeah. Well, I know you are tingly all over and super excited because the U S department of commerce data came out and you have done your number crunching. And I know I'm eager to hear what you learned. Oh my God. Uh, This week is like my leap year because you know, U.S. Department of Commerce data comes out every month, so we always get excited about that. But every three months, the e-commerce data comes out. So yesterday, the the retail data came out, and tomorrow, the e-commerce data came out. And you were like, hey, should we wait till tomorrow and do one show? And I'm like, no, there's too much goodness here. We need two shows, one to talk about the retail data today, and then we'll do another one uh, to talk about the e-commerce data after after that comes out. Um, yeah, on Wall Street, I think they have a double and a triple witching. So this is kind of like a triple witching. I like it. I don't know why they call it witching. I do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so July retail sales were up 8.2% versus 2021. Um, so that's very healthy, uh, robust growth. Uh, we, we've been talking about such big growth with all these anomalies going on that like we've gotten kind of used to it. But just a reminder, normal retail growth year over year, for the last 30 years, the median growth is 4.5%. So 8.2% is almost twice as good as you would expect. And even more to the point, year-to-date growth, so January through June uh, growth, retail is up 8.9%. So literally twice what you would normally expect. Um, so that is super exciting. The wrinkle here is our friend inflation. Like every time I talk about this huge growth... A bunch of people chime in and go, yeah, but it's all inflation. And for the last two years that we've had this enormous growth because of the pandemic and changes in purchase uh, patterns, um, all the economic stimulus, all that stuff, um, 
I keep looking at inflation and inflation is a small part of the growth, but not a meaningful part. And so I have to keep telling people, yeah, inflation is in there, but it's not a huge deal. Well, that changes this year. Um, so I mentioned year to date growth, uh, for this year is 8.9%. If you adjust for inflation, year to date growth is 0.5%. Um, so that wow. basically means all the growth we're getting in 2022 so far is directly a result of inflation. And that's super interesting because 2021 was like the biggest year of retail growth in my lifetime. And I, I jokingly told a lot of my, my friends and clients, you know, they should think about retiring because comping against that 2021 <laughs> number is going to suck. Um, and then so far this year, we've been comping quite well, but it turns out the reason we're comping well is not because consumer spending is like super robust and continuing, but rather uh, inflation has kind of filled in where that that uh, consumer momentum is is starting to wane. So that is a big story that we need to watch for the rest of the year. Um, again, the actual hyper accurate e-commerce, that's an over-exaggeration, the most accurate e-commerce data we get comes out tomorrow but in the retail data, we get this kind of uh, broad version of e-commerce called non-store sales. So for July, they were up 18% versus last year. Um, the year to date, they're up about 12%. Uh, I'll be really interested to see what the quarterly number is tomorrow. Um, you know, in kind of Q4 of last year, there was all this exuberism for spending in retail stores and e-commerce continued to grow. Um, but its rate of growth slowed down a lot. So for one of the, you know, only times in my lifetime, brick and mortar retail grew faster than e-commerce. And, uh, I have a feeling that when we're going to see Q2 of next year, that's, uh, Q2 of this year tomorrow, that that's not going to be the case, that we're going to returning to the normal trend of e-commerce growing, uh, meaningfully faster than, than brick and mortar. We're not going to know till tomorrow. No. Can't wait. But I, All nighter. I'll, I will give you one other thing to tease. Uh, based on the Q1 data, which came out three months ago, uh, we've seen that Q1 data show up in a bunch of earnings calls. And the most famous one is Shopify, right? So Shopify, uh, right before their earnings call, they laid off like 10% of their workforce. And they said like, man, you know, there was all this e-commerce growth during the pandemic. Um, we hired all these people. We got ready for all this stuff. And then the e-commerce growth regressed to the mean, which totally surprised us. We thought it would be more persistent. And so we've got to lay off a bunch of people and, and cut a bunch of costs. And they show this, this famous graph of the, the quarterly e-commerce data showing this big spike the last couple months and it kind of dipping back down to the trend line. Um, and, I see that graph everywhere. And the one thing I like to remind people about is regressing to the mean doesn't mean e-commerce didn't grow. It meant e-commerce grew as fast as it used to be growing, which is quite fast. So while Shopify laid off 10% of their people, like I was screaming in the background, uh, e-commerce has grown 61% from 2020 to 2022, and it added $412 billion a year in sales. <laughs> it's not like... It's not like there's not a ton of growth there. It's just the growth that we're used to seeing. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see what what uh, tomorrow brings. Yeah, seems like a lot of the the inflation is really starting to ripple through at this point, and um, yeah, 
Yeah. We've seen it show up at some retailers, but it's interesting to see it kind of work into the data with your, your, no, that, that brings up a good point. Like we, we have several omni channel retailers that reported earnings this, this week, and it's a really mixed bag about the, the inflation indicators in their earnings calls. And I, you know, probably the biggest one is Walmart, uh, reported earnings two days ago. Um, and people, Economists watch Walmart's earnings reports really closely in a in a um, challenging economic time because they're kind of the bellwether for the American consumer, right? Like the, um, they have the biggest chunk of consumer spending, and they kind of, um, as Walmart goes, like the American economy goes. Um, so, the as a reminder, about a week before their earnings, they low they significantly lowered their their earnings guidance for the rest of the year. They said that they expect that that. Uh, they expected their profitability to be considerably lower than they had previously uh, given guidance. Their earlier guidance was like zero to one percent growth, uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they they reduced it to they think earnings are going to be eleven to thirteen percent lower this year than they were last year. Um, so fast forward a week to their earnings, and everyone was kind of braced for it being kind of a brutal quarter, and it was a beat beat reiterate like they. They beat their earnings target. They beat their revenue target. Um, and they stuck with their guidance that earnings are going to be a lot lower the second half of the year. Um, but, uh, investors actually took that as good news. They actually expected that, that Walmart might have a miss. And so the fact that Q2 sales and Q2 earnings were reasonably robust at Walmart was kind of, um, positive news. And to kind of put that in perspective, U.S. comp retail sales for Walmart last quarter grew 6.5%. So again, normal retail growth is 4.5%. So 6.5 is good. Uh, e-commerce grew 12%. And you could compare that with Amazon e-commerce grew 7% the same quarter. So obviously Walmart's a lot smaller than Amazon, but they're the second largest e-commerce site, um, in the U.S. And they're, they're growing meaningfully faster than Amazon, which is impressive. Um, they did. You know, we've made a big deal about Amazon is breaking out their ad sales. Uh, Walmart didn't quite go that far. Uh, they said that their ad sales, which is called Walmart Connect, grew 30%, which is uh, a much faster rate of growth than Amazon's ad sales are growing. Amazon's growing about 18%. Walmart's growing at 30 But they didn't tell us what the base was. And, and you know, it's certainly a way smaller base than Amazon. So I'm not sure that that growth on the much smaller base is huge news, but it was interesting to see them talking about it. Uh, Doug McMillan and the CFO, both uh, uh, John Rainey, both made, uh, you know, uh, a big deal about Walmart connecting being a big part. (laughs) The CFO joked about not being used to businesses with this kind of crazy margins before. And uh, um, uh, Doug actually talked a lot about how Walmart connect is getting huge traction internationally. So they're, they're able to sell the ads and, in uh, India and China and some of the other other markets that they play in, um, I think they were getting a lot of like why surface it now. I don't I don't understand the so Amazon started revealing it because they've had to like the SEC said this has become a material part of your business. You have to unpack it a bit. But this seems like they decided to do it. Any any yeah, I think just why? because it's a good number, thirty percent growth sounds like a good, good number. <laughs> Just um, a good news to have. And it's a, a yeah, day. when when most of your news is about your earnings really being challenged, talking about uh, a super high margin part of your business growing really fast, I feel like just reflects well, right? Like I'm not I'm not confident yeah. we're going to see them report that number every quarter, by the way. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we'll have to see how that goes. But uh, like to kind of summarize why they're saying profits are likely to be much lower uh, for the full 2022, essentially what Walmart is saying is they are seeing consumers change behavior because of the recession. Um, and one of the big ways is they're seeing consumers still spend a lot with Walmart, but they're shifting from uh, wants to needs. So they're buying a lot less clothes and consumer electronics and a lot more food. And the food and the essentials that Walmart sells are much lower margin than the home and apparel categories uh, that they're selling less of. So the mix at Walmart is changing um, which is hurting their profitability, but not necessarily their income. And in fact, they called out one, one funny anomaly of the income is in, uh, this high inflationary time, a lot more high income consumers start shopping at Walmart. So people that make over a hundred thousand dollars a year spend more at Walmart in a, uh, a tough economy than they do in a really, uh, bullish economy. Um, and so they, they feel like they captured extra customers because of that, that, uh, would have shopped somewhere else, but they're buying this low margin stuff. Um, and John Rainey, the CFO, he, he specifically talked about how they're seeing consumers make different purchase decisions that they're, uh, he, he called it a pronounced customer shift that people are trading down. And he gave the specific example that we're selling a lot less deli meats. We're selling a lot less beef. And instead, we're selling a lot more hot dogs, chicken and tuna. Um, and that, you know, even vegetable based proteins like beans are starting to sell a lot better. Um, and those are all signs of a, you know, distressed consumer that's trying to make their food budget go further every week. Um, so. I would call that a mixed bag. I feel like investors were thrilled that their earnings call wasn't worse. Um, but, you know, uh, I don't I don't feel like people saw Walmart's earnings and said, oh, my gosh, uh, we're out of the woods on the economy and things are going to be great for the second half of the year. Um, yeah. So then we move to Target um, and uh, and Target was kind of a miss meet. Uh, um, maintain right they missed their earnings pretty meaningfully so they they uh the the guy their expectation was 72 cents a share they came in at 39 cents a share so that's a big drop it's actually 90 percent less profit uh than they made uh this quarter last year um so a huge drop in profitability they exactly hit the revenue target which was 26 billion um and their guidance uh kind of stayed the same that they're they're expecting to grow Kind of in the two to four percent um, uh, growth rate, which is, would be a typical year, and they're expecting six percent margins, which would be significantly up from the one point two percent margins they got this quarter. Um, digital for them was up nine percent, which is a lot slower growth rate than than uh, Walmart and slower even than Amazon, uh, even though Target's a lot smaller than than Amazon. Um, but what is interesting is. Target basically talked about not seeing any uh, inflationary changes to consumer spending. They did not talk about their mix changing dramatically. They did not talk about like seeing their customer change a lot. What they talked about is they had too much of the wrong inventory because of the supply chain disruptions last year. Um, and them being forced to deeply discount a lot of product. And they took like a $1.5 billion haircut on their inventory. 
um, which they had warned us they were going to do. But so what they're saying is, man, we're just having to sell a lot of this stuff cheaper. Um, and that's it's not necessarily because of inflation, but more because we have the wrong stuff. Hmm. That, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Do you think they had this supply chain problem and ended up with the stuff they ordered a year ago? Gosh, went up in the store. Is, yeah, they, that for sure is true. That, like they all yeah. ordered like Walmart, you know, said similar things that Walmart's, I think, said if we had a magic wand, uh, we would make one point five billion dollars worth of our inventory just disappear. Um, mm. And, you know, they all like beefed up their orders around holiday and they, you know, they all went to these extraordinary expenses to get inventory. They got inventory much more via much more expensive means, um, you know, from more expensive suppliers with more expensive freight. Um, a lot of those costs are coming down right now. Freight costs are coming down. Uh, shipping costs are coming down. Uh, but, you know, a lot of that inventory rolled in and it, you know, it was the clothes they hoped to sell for Christmas that, you know, is less appealing now. I would argue people are also just buying less clothes right now. Like, and I do think that's partly because of, uh, the economy and inflation. Um, you know, Target saying it's not Walmart saying it is. It's possible they're both right. It's, po- you know, Walmart has a lower income customer than Target. And so it is possible that the, the typical Walmart customer is more affected by inflation and their behavior is changing more dramatically. And the more affluent customer that shops at Target and Amazon, um, that their behavior is changing less as a result of inflation. So, you know, it's not outside the realm of possibility that they're both, they're both right from their seats. Interesting. Yep. Did, um, in their warnings, they both talked about apparel, any more color on that? Uh, I mean, again, the, the, they're seeing home slow down a lot, which is interesting because, you know, people were overspending on home when they couldn't travel. Um, yeah. you, you've seen this in your business, but like, a lot of people are back to travel. There's a lot of revenge travel. Uh, people are also, restaurants are having a moment. Restaurants are crushing grocery stores at the moment. Um, as you know, everybody, I'm not sure COVID's officially over, but like everybody's mentally over, over COVID, rushing back to restaurants. And fun fact, uh, inflation for restaurant food is much lower than inflation for grocery store food. So it's actually a better deal right now. Um, so, so the food thing is weird. The apparel thing is weird. Consumer electronics are really soft sales right now. And they're, they're actually, they have this weird counter effect. Like that's the one category that's having deflation. TVs are less expensive this year than they were last year. Um, and yet sales are still really soft. I think Best Buy uh, reports earnings tomorrow. So that, that'll probably be a challenge for them. Um, in the discretionary spending categories, the one category that everyone has called out as an outperformer is beauty. Um, and I think that's this thing that we call affordable luxury that like, you know, when when uh, you're not feeling great about your finances, but you want to treat yourself like what you do is you buy the premium lipstick instead of an expensive outfit or something like that. Interesting. Yeah. Kind of a, you can still feel good about yourself, but you've spent a lot less. Than exactly. I would argue that a better affordable luxury is to have someone do an amazing job detailing your car, but that's just me. Or a, or a uh, ice latte at Starbucks or 10. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's not, that's not an affordable luxury, Scott. That's a necessity. Were there any other omni channels you wanted to cover? Because I had uh, a yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't I think we've probably spent enough time. The the home improvement guys did report it was kind of a in between. Um, home Depot was decent; they were up 
uh, 5.4% in their, their comp sales, which is kind of in between what we saw at Target and Walmart. Um, they talked about seeing their consumer businesses slow down and seeing their pro businesses, which is the contractors pick up. Um, so I, I do think consumer spending on their homes is slowing down. I don't know where that pro business is coming from at first glance. So we'll have to dive into that deeper. Um, but the housing market is all, uh, topsy turvy right now. Yeah. So I think that, uh, and this kind of ties into the bifurcation of the convenience oriented consumer and then more affluent and then the value oriented consumer that the pros being busy was more renovations are still going on at larger homes. Um, yep. That makes that, sense. Yeah. You know, that, that weird, that like segment, uh, and maybe what's happening is you, you know, maybe you've outgrown your house and you thought you get a new one. Interest rates went up. And you're like, well, if I put that money into a expansion or something, you know, that that's maybe a better use of proceeds than putting it towards paying the bank a larger percentage. Um, I think that's probably what's going on there. No, that makes total sense. I'll buy that. Yeah, um, I'll buy that. For yeah. So then what's the last tranche of earnings we want to talk about, Scott? Well, this was interesting because I was reading a couple articles and I saw, you know, um, Casper has a new CEO and, and he came in and was basically saying, hey, uh, it's time to start stop losing money. We need to be a profitable company. So then I started wondering, you know, we had that cluster of, uh, and I say cluster in a positive way, we had a grouping of companies go public that we talked a lot about that were kind of in this, you know, some of them were were not 100% digitally native vertical brands, but in this kind of cohort over the last 18 months of IPOs, not 18 months calendar, but when the IPO window was open, we had, if you remember, we had Wish, ThreadUp, Casper, Glossier, Allbirds, Warby, and Purple, and a couple others go public. Um, so then I started poking around, and it's basically a bloodbath out there for that cohort of companies. So you know, Casper's not doing very well. Um, ThreadUp, um, which you would think would do really well in a recession because people would would you know look at more consignment type type apparel. Um, they had to do a pretty big layoff of 15%. Uh, probably the most hit hard is Wish, which I've never 100% understood Wish, but um, you know, far be it for me to to figure that out. But you would think they would be doing well because they always had this you know super inexpensive stuff. The trade-off was it took a while to get to you, but if you needed like a fun little drone or I think one of their biggest sellers is hair extensions bridal gowns, all kinds of stuff you wouldn't really expect but for that value-oriented consumer. You'd think during a recession, that would do really well. Well, their revenue is down 80% year over year. So they, they, they're just basically coming unglued. Um, they did a rebrand and their new brand is bargains made fun, discovery made easy. Um, which to me hints that maybe discovery was a problem. And now they're trying to say, Hey, we kind of, you know, you came to us before and you couldn't find what you're looking for, but now we fixed that it kind of has that, that kind of vibe to the new branding. Um, one that's popular with the ladies in my house is Glossier. Um, they had to do a 33% layoff and, um, I can understand this because we went on a New York trip and that's one of the places we make a trek to and the store was closed and this is just like four weeks ago. So it was definitely post COVID. So that wasn't good. Um, and I think I know what's going on there. Uh, Allbirds did an 8% layoff. Warby, they had a weird mixed message. They were doing some layoffs and, and talking about their losses mounting, but then they announced they're opening 40 stores and that they think it makes economic sense. It's kind of like, you know, I don't know. It didn't feel like the 
best time to be doing that. And, and they didn't really say anything other than we think that this is a good use of capital. So uh, we'll see. Um, and then, you know, so Casper is doing pretty poorly. And then Purple, who's kind of a Casper clone, if you will. I think they actually predate Casper, so they wouldn't like that being called that. But yet another online mattress company. Their revenue is down over 20% year over year. I think during COVID, everyone got new mattresses. Um, and now there's kind of a like a pull forward to that, that. That's a huge problem. Um, so that whole cohort is not doing well and, and kind of indexing much worse than kind of like what you saw in the data. Uh, I wanted to ask you what, if you think there's, do you have a theory of what's going on with those guys? I do. I Like I, I think the whole direct to consumer model, I'm not saying it can't work, but it's way more challenging than a lot of people um, gave it credit for, right? Like the fundamental problem with the direct to consumer model um, is customer acquisition, right? Like there's 240 million households in the U.S. and getting them to know about you and be aware of you and want to buy your products is really hard, right? And if you're a direct to consumer company with no organic awareness um, and no reason for people to discover you, uh, the way you get people to find out about you is you buy ads, right? You buy that awareness, and and all these D 2 C companies were using digital ads, you know, mainly on Facebook to to buy audiences. And so one thing we know is customer acquisition costs have gone up because of the privacy changes and the less the lower efficacy of a lot of those those digital things. But you know, even on the old pricing. Uh, every subsequent customer gets more expensive than the last one. Like the first customers you can buy are the cheapest. Uh, but you know, increasingly you have to bid higher and higher for an audience that's slightly a lower propensity to buy your stuff. And so as you grow, as you scale, it gets harder and harder to keep growing. And so we've seen a ton of these D2C companies grow really fast from zero to something and then hit a plateau and slow way down. And we were seeing that before the pandemic. We were seeing it during the pandemic. Um, some of these companies like were partly aided by the pandemic. And so maybe it gave them a little extra runway. Some of these companies like uh, away were probably hurt by the pandemic and had less, less runway. But I, I think what we're seeing is, uh, that, that the d- pure direct to consumer model, um, without some other way of cup of consumers of cheaply making consumers aware of your products is really challenging. So you're seeing a bunch of these D2Cs open their own stores. That's the Warby model. You're seeing a bunch of these D2Cs pivot to wholesale. So Glossier is moving into Ulta, I think it is, or, or it may be Sephora. I apologize if I have it wrong. Um, but there, a bunch of these guys have moved into, to wholesale to get awareness. Um, and, you know, that changes the whole margin structure and does all these things. I think there's a Warren Buffett quote uh, that only when the tide goes out can you find out who's not wearing a bathing suit. And I feel like that's that's kind of the situation we're in with these D2Cs is, you know, once we've we've come into a challenging economic model uh, market, um, the the high cost of customer acquisition and the challenges with continuing to scale um, are really starting to be apparent for all these D2C companies. You buy that? I do, and, and a lot of them in our, um, you know, in our world, we think about CAC and LTV, and you kind of get in your head, you know, it's you know, I'm growing X percent, my CAC LTV is three or four, and you feel like that's going to stay around forever, right? 
Um, and then you hit a recessionary period, which apparently this isn't. And you, know, you hit some headwinds or some chop and suddenly, you know, that no one's buying that second mattress or that second pair of glasses or, you know, whatever it is. And then, you know, your whole economic model is built on this ratio of CAC to LTV of three and suddenly it's one and a half. And if you don't react quickly to that and, and if you don't have, if all you have is paid mechanisms that are built on that, that whole ratio, then you're in the horns of a dilemma where you're kind of like, well, if I turn that off, the, the acquisition spigot, um, I can't grow revenue, but if I keep it on my, my earnings are going to go to heck in a handbasket because I'm effectively my, my, my CAC, my overall economics, of my business have changed very dramatically and there's no way for me to, to, to deal with that. And because these guys have such a big chunk of their, you know, their, their revenue from paid media, um, it doesn't, they don't have a lot of degrees to, to pivot on. So it's another way of saying what you said, but I, I agree is the short version. Yeah. You know, you reminded me one funny thing. I think one of, uh, both of our favorite guests on the show, uh, Dan McCarthy, um, you know, he, he talks about like every time he gets to look at the finances for one of these D to C companies, um, that they, they wildly underestimate their CAC and overestimate their LTV <laughs> that like the, the math is also just flawed that like, you know, most, most of these D to C companies feel like they're going to have like incredible retention and keep the, the, these customers respending every year for a long time that their data doesn't necessarily support. So they, they overestimate their LTVs cause they, they don't account for enough churn. And then, you know, they all just treat their ad costs as their total CAC. And, you know, it's customer acquisition costs. It's all the costs to find that customer, get them to buy them and onboard it. So all the customer service costs, all the onboarding costs, there's, there's a lot of extra costs that should be in that CAC number that, that, uh, a lot of, uh, uh, first time, uh, D to C CFOs don't, don't tend to put in there. So, uh, is, I thought that was a funny observation as well. Yeah. And then a lot of times, you know, you'll be at like, let's say 20 million and you're just driving the business off Google and you're like, well, this is amazing. And, but then, you know, Google, Google searches are a pretty finite uh, resource. And at some point you, you kind of can get them all right. So there's only so many people that are typing in mattress every day. Um, and then, then you're like, okay, well I'll do, you know, I'll do Facebook, I'll do this, I'll do whatnot. Uh, and then as you do, you whittle away, you know, Google's always one of the most uh, effective advertising venues because the consumer has given you their intent. So they're at the bottom of the funnel. So then as you walk up the top of the funnel, your cat goes way up and then, uh, and you can have infinite spin there uh, at the top of the funnel, but you know, it, it doesn't really change the the metrics downstream. So, so then that's that scaling problem. So a lot of these guys get to a hundred million and then it really falls over because, because they can't really get that incremental next dollar. And if they do, their CAC LTV ratio goes way up because they're, they're spending so much more on paid media and the LTV is stable. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a tough slog. So uh, I think reading between the lines when, when Warby says we want to open up stores, I think they're trying to, you know, kind of ironically go from a pure online to being in foot traffic and getting people there, which is, you know, what they're basically saying, I think, is that that may be cheaper than that next incremental online ad dollar. A hundred percent. I wonder I, uh, when we're all retired and we look back on this market, like I do think there's going to be a lot more D to C activity than we have today. But I actually think most of it is going to look more like Nike. It's going to look more like someone that was born as a wholesaler 
um, that created huge awareness, affinity, and love, and eventually hit escape velocity where they didn't need that that wholesale model anymore, and they were able to then go direct to consumer and have a low customer acquisition cost and kind of growth hack. Um, and I'll, I'll bet you a lot more the the D to C brands that are dominant, you know, sort of ten to fifteen years down the road, got there by. Uh, starting uh, wholesale and transitioning to D2C rather than being born D2C, which is just, I think, a tough value prop. Yeah. Uh, well, Scott, that's a lot for one show. And, you know, we've already teased people about a, a, a subsequent show on e-commerce. So um, I feel like we uh, should try to wrap up. Is there anything else we didn't cover that you were excited to talk about? No, I just want to, um, you know, give you good luck tomorrow. I hope all your data flows, your columns line up, your tableau is humming. And uh, I look forward to, to hearing your analysis on what comes out of the data tomorrow. Awesome. Uh, well, my in-laws are visiting and they're commuting home tomorrow. So they, they promised they're going to listen to tonight's show in the car. So I just want to give a shout out to Situ and Papa. Um, and with that, uh, it's happened again. We've used up our allotted time. As always, uh, if this show offered you some value, if you're going to be a little smarter around the virtual water cooler tomorrow, uh, the way you can repay us for this free show is you can jump on iTunes and leave us that five-star review that we so warmly deserve. Thanks, everyone. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 